My name is David Pfizer. I'm the student pastor here uh, at LifePoint Church. Don't worry, Pastor George will be back next week. And so uh, I'll be back with students, but it's been fun. We've been going through a series called More Than Conquerors, where we are just journeying through Romans 8, one of the greatest, if not the greatest chapter in the Bible, all right? It is the mothership, it's the queen of queens, it is the lord of lords when it comes to chapters in the Bible. It's Romans 8. And our first week together, we learned that, hey, we have a weapon to conquer the battles that we face. That weapon is the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit equips us and empowers us and reminds us that we are victorious in Christ and that we have the power now to overcome anything that we face. Last week, we learned uh, that our standing, to be a conqueror means we have a standing with, with God, that we are a child of God, that we have received an inheritance that will not spoil, that will not fade. And this week, we're going to learn that as conquerors, we have hope. No matter what is going on in our lives, you and I have hope because we are more than conquerors. So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. If you don't have your Bibles, we have it on the screen or in your bulletin. We're in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we're going to read all the way through to the end of the chapter. All right? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Here we go. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day uh, long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is good stuff right here. Amen, huh? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, come before you, God, and we, your word says that your mercies, Lord, are new every morning. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you, God, that we... Um, are your people, that we have been called out of darkness, brought into your marvelous light. 
And then it's just a privilege, God, to just to worship and hear your word. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, you'd give us ears to hear, give us hearts that are open. That you would, God, use my weak and my frail and feeble words, God, to, to shape us and to conform us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And God, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, church, one of the greatest songs, I believe, of all time came out in 1977. Okay, I'm trying to reach, uh, trying to connect with some of y'all here, okay? 1977, the epic, amen. <laughs> the most power, is the most epic power ballad of all time by the band Queen, our boy Freddie Mercury, We Are the Champions, right? Amen, right? Oh, man. Yes! You guys have it! They didn't do this the first service. Yes! <laughs> I love you, tech team. Give it up for the tech team, man. That's our O-line right there. They do the dirty work. Yeah, I don't even know what I'm going to say now. Um, oh, yeah, we are the champions, right? The first time I heard that song was in maybe the greatest sports movie of all time, The Mighty Ducks, right? You guys remember The Mighty Ducks? Yes, I was in Anaheim one time. I went to a Ducks game. I was so excited. I was like, quack, 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 right? And they're like, we don't do that here. You know, that's Disney. I was like, oh, snobs, hockey snobs. But uh, I remember, you guys remember the end of Mighty Ducks, right? The dude, whatever, uh, Dawson's Creek dude does triple deke, and then he shoots off the post and in, and then there it is, the music. We are the champions. And anytime you hear that song, don't you, I mean, you feel like a champion, I was driving to church this morning in a Pontiac vibe, and I was like, I'm a champion, okay? Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter, right? And it, and it just feels good to hear that. And if there was a theme song to Romans chapter 8, all right, it would be We Are the Champions. Freddie Mercury, obviously, is not a theologian, pastor-type guy, but that's what Romans 8 is about, that we are conquerors. That we are victorious, that nothing can stand in our way, that we will keep on fighting till the end because we're the champions. But the question I want to ask for us is this, is can we really feel that way? Can we really have that assurance? Can we really have that confidence, not just on our good days, but can we have it on our bad days? Can we have it when everything we know is stripped away from us. Can we still really believe that? Can we still really hold on to that? Can we still have that hope inside of us? Um, do you guys remember that famous hymn, It Is Well? Uh, the guy who wrote it was a guy named Horatio Spafford in the 1800s. And the year that he wrote that hymn, this is what happened. He lost his four-year-old son, tragically. Then he lost his business to the great Chicago fire. And then he decided to go on a vacation and join Dwight Moody in some revival in England with him, his wife, and his four daughters. And there was some business mix-up, and so he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead of him on the first ship. And that ship hit something, and it sunk. And his four daughters passed away in that accident. And he gets a telegram from his wife in England saying what had happened. And so 
uh, Horatio gets on the next ship that he can, and as, as he's passing that place, as the captain says, hey, this is probably where the accident happened, he wrote, it is well. You guys remember what it says? Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You see, Horatio had that, that hope, even in the midst of chaos, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of loss, on his worst day, he held on to the hope that he is victorious in Christ. And the question I have for us is, man, how can we have that hope? How can we hold on to that? How can we believe that? How can we have that assurance? This is how, through three things. The first thing you need to know is this, is that our bad things, our bad things will turn out for good. Secondly, our bad things will turn out for good, but then secondly, our good things will never be taken away. And then lastly, the best is yet to come, all right? The best is yet to come. So let's just work through these. First off, number one, bad things will turn out for good. Your bad things will turn out for good. Paul gives us one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture in Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, I know I'm a pastor, and every verse I talk about, I'm like, this is the greatest verse ever. But this might be the greatest verse ever. You know what I'm saying? Because this, this verse gives us assurance and confidence and comfort, knowing that all things work out for our good. Now, here's the deal, though. It's a promise, but it's based on a condition. And what's that condition? The condition is that all things work out for what? For those who love him. For those who've been called according to his purpose. What that means is all things will not work out for you if you are not in Christ. All things will not work out for you if you just show up to church and you think that's enough. All things will not work out for you if you do some nice things for your kids. All things will not work out for you even if you just acknowledge that there is a God. Paul says all things will only work out for you for those who love God, for those who've been called to him. And when it means love God, it means that you are committed to him, whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether you just got the greatest tax return in your life or you were like Horatio and you just lost it, you lost your whole family in an accident, that if you get knocked down, you get back up because you are committed to following your God. And Paul says, for those who love God, for those who have surrendered their life, who are devoted to him, all things work together for the good. That's a wonderful promise. So what are all things? All things are all things, all right? It's pretty simple. All things are the boring things. It's the mundane things. It's sitting in your office cubicle things. It's in your boring meeting things. It's in the good things. It's in the great things. And it's in the bad things. You best believe that God can turn your bad things into good things. That's what God does. God is in the business of turning things upside down, of resurrecting things from the dead. That's what he does best. You guys remember the story of Joseph? Remember that story? Here's Joseph. He's this kind of punk teenager kid. He has a little bit of an ego, and his brothers are jealous of him. 
And so they beat him up and they leave him in a pit to die. And you got to think Joseph's in that pit thinking, man, God, where are you at? This isn't good. And then, of course, he's sold into slavery. And you got to think, man, I'm Joseph. I'm sold into slavery. This isn't good, God. What are you doing? And, of course, he starts to kind of build his way up. Potiphar's wife comes in, tries to hit on him, tries to make a move. Joseph does the right thing, runs away, and he's thrown back into prison. And then just through Joseph's faithfulness, right, he builds his way up. And then, but what happens? What's the end of the story say? Here Joseph is, the second in command of all of Egypt, and his family comes to him asking for food because there's a famine. And he reconciles with his brothers, and he's able to provide for his family. And he says to his brothers, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant for evil. God meant for good. And that's what God does. Guys, you have, some of you have experienced hurts and have experienced pain and experienced losses. And some of you, some people have literally been vindictive and viciously just tried to bring you down. And God says, I will use that and I will turn it into good. And that's a promise you can take to the bank. And you see, church, listen, I don't want you to, when you read this verse, I don't want you, though, to get this false sense of, like, you know, bad things aren't bad things, right? The worst thing you can do to someone who's suffering is just say, hey, well, guess what? All things work together for good, right? Like, you just, you just shut up, right? I'm suffering here. Like, you don't say that. You know, when Jesus rose uh, Lazarus from the grave, you know, when he, when he got to the tomb, he wasn't, like, chuckling to himself. He knew he was going to resurrect him. He knew he was going to display his glory. He knew that he was going to perform this amazing miracle. He's not laughing. What is he doing? Jesus weeps because he sees the loss and he sees the devastation and he sees the horrors of death itself. And he weeps. And what did God do in that situation? What did Jesus do? He resurrected Lazarus from the grave. Church, don't you see? God can take your worst things in your life and resurrect them into good. And if you believe this promise, if you take this to the bank, if you hold on to this, guess what this should do? It should free you from all anxiety. It should absolutely free you from all anxiety. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, is that the Christian should not be depressed because of this verse. Right? Because we know that all things work together for the good. And so I know that, guess what? God's in charge. I'm not. It's going to work out. And I can just rest and have peace in that. We have an assurance to know that even in the worst days of our lives, that there's a purpose. John Noon says this, God only gives you what is necessary. What is not necessary, he withholds. Meaning the things we so desperately want from him, if he withholds it, what Noon was saying is this, is like, we don't need it. We don't need it. I remember when uh, in my last church in Bellflower, in a span of three months, we had two families with single dads pass away unexpectedly. One from a heart attack and one from a brain aneurysm. We were a small church, a church of 80 people. This rocked our community. And we thought, man, it, it would make sense if God took one of the wealthy families. But this, these, these kids became orphans. 
And I remember just having a real time with God and said, God, like, what on earth are you doing? This is not fair. This is not just. These kids are suffering. What good could come from this? And the only hope that I had during that time, the only hope those kids had during those times was Romans 8, 28. Because we might not know specifically why God does those things, but we know that it works out all things for the good of those who believe in him. And that's what you got to trust. And you see the purpose. What's the purpose of that? You know, when God says, I work out all things for what? For the, for the good. What, what does it mean for it to be good, right? What does it mean for our good? Church, what it means for our good is this in verse 29. See, all the things that we have, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the purpose is this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Underline that phrase, conformed to the image of his son. The purpose of our trials, the purpose of our hardships, the purpose of our failures and our setbacks is to conform us into the, into the image of Jesus Christ. And church, you and I might think that the worst things in our lives are our circumstances. And we pray and we say, God, take away my wife, right? Take away my kids. Fix this. Fix that. Give me a new job. Give me out of Plano. Fix my circumstances. But God knows better. Listen, circumstances, generally speaking, will not ruin your life but your character absolutely will. And your pride and your selfishness and your ego and your desire to live life as God and to push God out the window, that is what will kill you. And God says, I will use all things in order to conform you, in order to, to sculpt you, in order to, to shape you, to mold you into who I want you to be. When we went to New Orleans, <clears throat> we, uh, one of our projects was to work on a, uh, a house that hadn't been touched since, hadn't been lived in since Katrina, uh, since 2005. And so we see this house and there's holes in the roof. It looks like it's about to fall apart. It's all boarded up and there's graffiti on it. And our kids thought there might even be dead people inside. And uh, I was like, oh, we'll be fine, right? And so... We get into this house, and we, our job was literally to start gutting this thing. And so we just start gutting it and tearing down things. And one of our students, as we're, like, tearing down stuff, literally a gun falls down to the ground, right? And we, a loaded gun, okay? Your kids are fun on mission trips, by the way. You'll, they'll be fine, okay? Um, and we, like, freaked out. We're like, oh, my gosh, there's a gun, right? And I felt so ashamed of myself. I'm like, I'm from Texas, and I don't know what to do right now, you know? I should just move back to California or something. Um, but, but, you know, we, we saw the gun, and we called the pastor, and we got rid of the gun. No, one, no shots were fired or anything. And, and that was, like, kind of our favorite moment, memory from that experience. But as we reflected on that, we thought, you know, isn't that what God does with us? We're, aren't we that house? Aren't we that kind of shack, <laughs> that kind of dump, so to speak? And we, we invite God in, and we kind of think, oh, God, I know I have a few problems, right? I know there's, you know, a few leaky faucets, a few light bulbs that need to be replaced. Maybe I need a new roof. But what God does is he comes into our house, and he comes in swinging. 
And he takes that sledgehammer and he goes to town and he starts knocking things down. And when you're in the middle of that, it can feel like the worst experience in your life. But what C.S. Lewis says is this. He says, you thought God came in to make you into a nice little cottage. But what he's doing is building a palace. And he's invited himself in to dwell there with you. God works out all things for the good of those who believe in him. God will take your bad things and turn them into good. Secondly, what we see is this. Why we can have hope, why we can have assurance is that our good things will never be taken away. Our good things will never be taken away. Never be lost. We can never lose them. We can, it's, it's sealed forever. All right? Paul gives us five things that have already happened. I would even call them good things. They are the greatest things that could ever happen. Five of the greatest things that could ever happen can never be taken away. And it's in verse 29. Let's read this. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see those five things? The first thing that can never be taken away for you is this, is that you are foreknown, okay? Paul says he foreknew us. And to be foreknown does not mean that God before the beginning of time simply knew that you would be born and knew that you would choose him and knew that all would be well, that he would just kind of see it all play out like DVR. To be foreknown, that word known, it's intimate. It's not just I know of you, it's like I know you. When Adam and Eve come together in the Bible, when they come together, the Bible says they knew each other. Paul says in Ephesians, he says, I want you to know the love of Christ. How deep and how high and how wide, how low. You know, my dad sometimes comes to me with random things. I don't know why. And he's like, you know, David, <clears throat> I know your mom. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, I know you know my mom. No, 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 I know your mom. I know her highs and her lows. I know her strengths and her weaknesses. I know her with her clothes on, and I know her with her clothes. I was like, stop. <laughs> I do not want to hear this. I might have just vomited just a little bit, you know, just, oh, dad, come on, man. He's like, what? <laughs> How do you think you got here, you know? Um, but the, de <laughs> the deal is this, is, is, you know, when you're married, you know your spouse. You know everything about them. After you've lived with them for so many years, you can almost speak for them. And when Paul says that we are foreknown, what he means is that God knew you before the beginning of creation. That he loved you before the beginning of time. That he knew you. And that church can never be taken away. The second thing that can never be taken away is this, is that we have been predestined. We have been predestined. Predestined means to be predestined, okay? It means to be, it's predetermined. If you, it's like if you're going on a trip to, say, Kansas City, we're in Dallas, all right? And our, our destination is to, to get from point A to point B, and we're getting there, and there's nothing stopping us, and it's guaranteed that we get there. 
All right? God, in his sovereignty, predestines us. Our trajectory. He predestines us to be born and then to be brought into glory. And there's nothing you and I can do about that. Now, I know when I say that, right, a lot of questions come up. Like, well, what about my choice? And what about free will? And, and what about, like, am I just a robot and God just gets his way? And guys, let me tell you something. I am not paid enough to answer those questions for you, okay? I am middle management here, okay? So if you got problems with this verse, write down george.pfizer at lifepointplano.org and send them that way, okay? Seriously, no. Um, listen, guys, this is a debate that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And there are great godly people who believe all sorts of different types of views on this. But what the Bible says is this in Proverbs 16, 9. It says, in his heart, a human makes his plans, but God establishes his steps. And how those things work together, I have no idea. I don't know how that projector works. I just sit back and enjoy it, right? And what God, or what Paul is trying to say to us is like, he's not trying to get us into this philosophical conundrum. He's trying to give us an assurance and a security and a comfort knowing that there's nothing we can do to, to get outside the grip of God. That we've been predestined for greatness, predestined for glory. And then the third great thing that can never be taken away is this, is that we've been called, okay? God foreknew us, he predestined us, and then he calls us. And calling does not mean God calls and only some answer. Calling means when God calls, you answer. It means his grace is irresistible. It means it, no matter how far you run away from God, you will be brought back into God because God cannot be defeated, okay? It's like when I met my wife and I saw those beautiful brown Indian eyes, I felt called, okay? And I, was, and I answered, all right? I was like, here I am, baby, Okay? Here I am. And that's what, I'm sorry, God, but that's what God does, all right? That's, God calls, and we answer. And those he calls, guess what happens next? He justifies. And that can never be taken away. Justification means to be declared righteous, to be declared innocent, to be viewed as, as not guilty. That can never be taken away. And then lastly, you are glorified. You are glorified. And to be glorified simply means to, that your sin will be removed and that you will see Jesus as he is and you will be like him. That will, there will be no blemish, no sin. You will be as God has wanted you to be. But notice, guys, the tense. I'm not, I'm not an you know, an English guy. My wife will typically tell me that my grammar isn't that good. And she's like, David, like, English is your first language. You should know this stuff, right? And I was like, I don't speak English, baby. I speak American. You know what I'm saying? I speak American. Uh, but this is what I do know about this, okay? Glorified is in the past tense. And that is not an accident. You are, it not, the Bible does not say you will be glorified. It says you are glorified. And Paul uses the past tense on purpose 
to show us that your future glory is already guaranteed. It is signed, sealed, and delivered. It is irrevocable that there is nothing you can do to lose that. Do you see this great news? Paul gives us this amazing chain and these amazing links in this one chain. He says, you are foreknown, you are predestined, you are called, you are justified, and you are glorified. And that is a chain that can never be broken. Do you see the graciousness of our God? Guys, who does all these things? You and I cannot foreknow ourselves. You and I cannot predestine ourselves. You and I cannot call ourselves or justify ourselves or glorify ourselves. But God does. God is the one who does all these things. Do you guys see? We have such a beautiful, such a gracious God who does not, God does not come to help those who can help themselves. God comes down to us who are in darkness, to us who are poor, to us who are weak, to us who are frail. And he says, I will carry you <clears throat> till the end. I think of in Lord of the Rings, at the, at the kind of the epic finale, there's Frodo. And he can't, he falls down and he can't take the ring to Mordor, right? He can't do it, but there's Samwise Gamgee. <clears throat> and he says, Frodo, I might not be able to carry the ring, but I can carry you. And our God has carried us from the beginning of time, before time, and will carry us into glory for eternity. And church, that can never, ever be taken away. And some of you might be asking, well, what if I screw up, right? What if I say, God, I don't want this? What if I, what if I run away from him? What if I make these epic failures? What if I, my family falls apart? What if I mess up? What if I don't become this person that I want to be? And we kind of, we get that fear, right? Well, this is the deal. We got to remember our standing. Our God is not a boss. A boss is patient with us only to a certain extent. But if eventually we're not performing, he kicks us out, right? But God is our father. And any time a child disobeys his parents or any time a child rebels and goes off, the love for that child and that parent only intensifies, doesn't it? When your child is suffering and hurting, the love inside of you for your kid only gets stronger. It doesn't get weaker. The, kid, the parents that I meet with are not the ones who have, have all, their, their kids are fine. It's the ones who are, who are struggling. And there's no place, no matter how far off the deep end you go, God is there and he's chasing after you and he will bring you back into the fold. Your good things will never be taken away. And then lastly, the best church, the best is yet to come. And it is raining like cats and dogs. You know, sometimes you got to acknowledge these things, you know. Um, the best is yet to come, all right? Paul says it. He says he, in the last eight verses, he's like, guys, the best is yet to come. Church, when we think about the future, we get worried. It is normal for us to get worried. I found myself preaching this stuff to you guys, and I've been worried myself this week. And it's like when you get something in the mail, right, some unexpected bill, and you're just like, how on earth am I going to pay for this, right? But do you know worry, like the old English term for worry, kind of means to choke or to strangle? That's what worry does. 
It doesn't help your past. It doesn't help your future. It just ruins your present. And Paul says, Christians, you do not need to worry because the best is yet to come. And he gives us five questions. He gives us five questions about our future that, that really, um, that we usually have, that we were. Let me, let me read this for you. He says, verse 31, this is the first question. If God is for us, who could be against us? Second question, he who did not spare his own son but gave it up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Will God provide for our needs? Third question, who will uh, bring any charge against God's elect? Will I ever be accused of anything? Fourth question, who is it to condemn? Will I ever be found guilty of anything? Fifth question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will I ever lose my relationship with God? And what does Paul say? What's the answer? The answer is no. Paul says the answer to all these things are no. That nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. That no one can condemn you. That no one can judge you. That God will provide for all your needs. Why? Because God loves you. Because God loves you. You know, church, listen. We, say, we throw that term out around a lot, right? And, and sometimes we can just, it can be kind of trivial and lose its meaning. You know, but the, a pastor once said this, that simplicity before complexity doesn't really carry a lot of weight. But simplicity after complexity carries a whole lot of weight. And what I mean by that is this. If an 18-year-old got up here and declared to you that God is good, You'd be like, oh, that's cute, right? Oh, that's sweet. Oh, you're a little, that's pure. But you're like, well, that's easy for you to say. You drive your mom's BMW. You just got a full ride to A&M. Life's good for you. But if my grandma came up here, who's 83 years old, who's experienced hardship and suffering and loss and pain and trial after trial and stood before you and said, church, God is good. It carries a whole different weight, doesn't it? It carries a whole different meaning, doesn't it? And that's what Paul, that's what Paul is. Paul has gone through those things. Paul says, what shall separate us? Shall trials, shall tribulations, shall nakedness, shall famine, shall sword, should death separate us? Because Paul says that because he lived it. He experienced famine and hunger. He experienced hardship. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. He was shipwrecked. He was left to die. He was flogged by the, with the cat of nine tails. Five times. Almost 200 scars were on his back. And Paul says, Christians, you do not need to worry about your future. Because no matter through whatever trial you face, Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. The best is yet to come. Church, how is that possible? How is the best yet to come? It's because what Paul says in Romans 8, 37, and it's the theme of our three weeks together, he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
The reason we know the best is yet to come is because we have conquered, is because we are the champions, is because we are victorious. The Greek word for that, for to more than conquerors, it means not just to conquer, it means to crush. It means to wipe out. It means to just step upon, to slaughter, to embarrass. I mean, this is the most convincing defeat ever, conquering ever. In college football history, the greatest victory in college football history was in the early 1900s by Georgia Tech against like some random, like Cumberland College. And you want to know what the score was? 220 to zero, all right? Cumberland College gained negative 28 yards, all right? That, church, is not just a victory. That is more than a victory. That is more than just conquering. That is crushing your opponent. That is crushing you and winning. And Paul says the best is yet to come because we are more than conquerors. Um, I came across a story about Romans chapter 8 about a guy named John Bruce. And John Bruce was a federal judge appointed by Ulysses S. Grant. And on his deathbed, this is the story, on his deathbed, he instructed his daughter to fetch the book. And he told her to turn to the 8th chapter of Romans And he said, put my finger on these words and quoted, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. And when his daughters found the words, John Bruce told her to hold his finger there and he passed away with his finger on that promise. See, he knew. He knew that the best was yet to come. Even on his deathbed, he knew that he was more than a conqueror. And church, how is that possible? How is it possible that we can win the battles here on earth and we can win the ultimate battle for the eternity? How is that possible? It's possible, church, because the battle was never ours to begin with. It was never ours to begin with. I think of the story of David and Goliath. And here's Goliath with his sword, with his spear, with his javelin, and with the armies behind him, 10 feet tall. And David comes to him with bold courage, and he looks him in the eye and he says, I did not come with a sword or a spear, or a javelin. But I came in the name of the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. And everyone will see this day that you will be defeated, that you will be handed over to Israel because the battle belongs to the Lord. Hundreds of years later, there was a truer David, a son of David, And he faced the ultimate giant, sin and death. And he stormed the gates of hell for a heavenly cause. And Isaiah says in 53.5, he says, we were pierced for his transgressions. We were crushed 
He was crushed for our iniquities. But by his wounds, we have been healed. Church, don't you see? We are more than conquerors because it was not our battle. It was Jesus' battle. And he won. He was separated from the Father so that we could be brought in for eternity. He was falsely accused so that we could never be accused. He lost all things so that we could have all things, so that we could never worry. He was condemned. He experienced the wrath and the punishment so that you and I, we could be declared innocent. He experienced eternal separation so that you and I could stand by our Lord and Savior and our Father at the right hand of God with a crown of victory and rule with him forever. Do you see why the best is yet to come? Do you see why no matter what happens after our time together, that we can have hope, that we can have confidence, that we can have assurance, that we can have a boldness to live like we are victorious because church we are. And I want to challenge you. Do not be... Do not be held back by fear. Do not be held back by worry. But the purposes and the dreams and the passions that God has put in your heart. Romans 12, 1 says, in light of the mercy of God, lay your body down. Church, follow those dreams. Follow those passions that God has put in your heart. Because you and I, we've already won. We've already won. And the best is yet to come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do not deserve this. There is nothing we've done to uh, to earn this, God. And yet that's the God of, of, of who you, that's who you are. Lord, you, you saw us in our darkness even before creation began and you made a plan and you've carried out that plan. And we are forever yours, God. And God, we praise you for your sovereignty. We praise you for your graciousness. And we praise you, God, that we are victorious. God, I pray, Lord, that we as a church, that we could put our finger, God, on Romans 8 that we could hold truth to that, that Romans 8, God, that we are more than conquerors, would anchor our soul. If there's anyone in here today who's reached their wit's end, who's tired of trying to fight your battle on your own, would you just surrender? Would you let Jesus fight your battle for you? And what that means is is handing over the sword, is handing over the weapons and just saying, God, I can't do this. I'm weak and I need you and I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross and that he rose again so that I could have everlasting life. And the Bible says if you pray, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved, and you will be more than a conqueror. 
And if you want to do that today, could you just do it? Could you write something on the connection card? Could you find us after the service? And we'd love to help you understand what this means and what it looks like. Because it's the greatest thing that you could ever do. God, we love you. We thank you that we are more than conquerors. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being sovereign over all things. Thank you, God, that you who began a good work will be sure to complete the task. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.